Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop as we kick off the next installment of the optional experience. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me is our esteemed professor, Eric Smolinski of ES Invests. Blaine is unfortunately out sick this week, so we wish her a speedy recovery as we press on. Now, in the most recent episode, Eric tasked us with watching, uh, was it Jerry and Marge go large, I think it was? I think I never heard of that, but yeah, I think you might have tasked me with that. Excuse me. No, no, no. It was picking some stocks to track through the earnings cycle and be ready to discuss our findings. Uh, if you missed that episode, I will link that in the episode description. And as a reminder, there will be the minimally edited version of tonight's conversation posted to YouTube. So that way everyone could follow along with Eric's screen. So Eric, how are you been, man? Uh, what's happened since we last chatted? Nothing. <laughs> you got anything cooking over there? Nope. All right, then. Uh, what do you have planned for us today, then? <laughs> so... I always like to give you short, annoying answers to those. I really, know. <laughs> it's just because I think your reactions are funny. It's kind of uh, more for my own entertainment. But I do want to <laughs> share a tool that I'm working on. And it's actually to get people's feedback because the whole idea is to make sure that the tool is useful. It's why I'm building it. And I'm paying somebody to build it, to be clear. Like, I'm working on elements of it, but I am not the dude actually building it because I don't have that skill set. Um, but here is what I'm working on. So on the website, I reference compound interest calculators very regularly because I think they're massively important for people to look at. Even now, I regularly reference them because I, I literally I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. So what this does is it gives you a few things. And again, this is still work in progress. It's not finalized. But what this does is let's say you want to know if you have a $10,000 account and you think you can earn 10% return, how does that compete against a few things? The first one is how does that compete against the standard benchmark like the S&P 500? And then the other thing I want to make sure people understand is how impactful saving is. So I automatically do the savings calculations for you. Whether or not you input savings, I also put it over here so that you can't ignore it. 
And <laughs> so in Smart. this case, that I have, if you save just $100 a month, instead of this $26,000, you would have $45,000 over the same time frame. That's the kind of thing I want to put in front of people, because I think that that information is transformative. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people over time, they look at stuff and they think, oh, well, it's just $100. Like, how big of an impact can that make? And the answer is it's actually a pretty massive impact. And this isn't even over like a really long-term time frame. This is over just 10 years. If you look at something like 20 years, it can start to make a much bigger difference. And again, this is just a legacy issue with it, right? So when I change the years, that's not updating. So I have to like refresh it again. It's a, oh, and then it just goes away. Anyways, but <laughs> that, that is the, the general idea of the tool is right now we're working on like the HTML code to make it fit. I actually think they're working on it right now, which is the only time I've seen it crash like that. Um, but I want to make it fit well on like a cell phone mobile device. Mm. But yeah, I think understanding how impactful just a little bit of saving can go. So yeah, anyways, that's one thing I'm working on. When you guys have an opportunity to go to the website and just click down to it, I've also identified another issue right out of the gate where you can't, for whatever reason, share the link directly. It has to be navigated to through the website, which will fix that. I don't know exactly what the issue is there, but you know, it's buggy, right? It's definitely still in its early development stages, but the idea is to have a usable reference tool for people. So anyways, that's what it is. There's also I, another, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that because I think uh, the thing that got me into and interested in investing was playing around with uh, a version of that I made on an Excel sheet. I mean, I'd spend hours just looking at the different possibilities and the different benchmarks and trying to calculate the S&P's return over 20 years and how I would compare to that. I, I love this. Yeah, and the idea behind it is I try to integrate some of that information for people so that it's kind of easily found. I'll grab the calculator again. Um, and it's so that kind of some of those references are just built right into it, right? Mm -hmm. So you, like I purposely let you know what the S&P 500 returns. I kind of benchmark it directly to 8% down here. This is a longer term average return for the S&P 500. And then up here, I'm giving you a range because it depends on the period that you look at the S&P 500. So this gives people a better idea of how the S&P 500 can vary. And then I also give you the capacity to calculate like a return variance, which I think is very cool. So again, like if we have that same, I don't know if it'll work, but if we have that same $10,000 and we want to look at it over like a 20 year time span, which it seems like the 20 year period cuts it off. But let's just see if I can tie in like a variance. Yeah. So it, there it goes. So what I'm able to do is to see how big of a difference the return can make at different levels above and below what you think you can return. So in this case, if it's looking at, you know, 10% for 20 years, not adding any money, starting with $10,000, and then it's looking at 3% above and below that. And the reason why I think that's actually super important is because I have a post that I recently wrote up on Reddit, which I love. I literally love Reddit, man. It's <laughs> like such a fun place. And it's like the wild west of the internet. You have to know what you're getting there. But if you accept what you're getting there, it actually is a really cool spot to interact. The reason why I insist on continuing to interact there is because this is one of the first places I started cutting my teeth with sharing information, this whole thing that I'm working on. So whether or not I get a warm reception, like 
I never care. I just share the information. And then sometimes people like it. Sometimes people don't like it. Again, I I don't really give a (laughs) fuck either way. And so this one talks about the idea that details matter. And the punchline here is I use an example of a 3% variance in returns and how impactful that is on large sums of money. So in the the example I give, if you had $500,000 invested at 20 years at a 12% return, you get 4.8 million. At a 3% better return, it's 8.2 million. Damn, doubles. why I care so much about details. Like this is exactly why. And I actually used my calculator when I was making this, but that is the heart and soul of why I care so much about details in trading and why I think the details slip so many traders early on. Because if you look at the like a 3% variance on a $10,000 account, it's peanuts. It just, it is not that impressive of a figure to really draw your attention. But when you use a larger sum of money, like half a million dollars, all of a sudden you look at that and you're like, wait a minute, that literally is the difference of essentially like three and a half million dollars wrapped in that 3%. That matters because if you amortize that over that time frame, which was 20 years, it's like 200 and something thousand dollars or a little less than that per year. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, 100, 188,000 or something like that. The point being though, is that it's a usable amount of money if you amortize that difference year over year, which again, for me, that's kind of the whole idea of trading is financial freedom. So mm-hmm. if you have a decent amount of money, that variance matters to you. And the best way to get better at reducing that variance early on is to start now. Even if you don't have a big sum of money where that 3% difference makes a big difference to you, again, in terms of a raw dollar figure right now, don't linger on that, focus on the long-term here. So anyways, yeah. it's something obviously I'm pretty passionate about. I talk a lot about it because if I look about back at my background and how I got really interested in trading, it was fucking around with one of those calculators. It literally changed my life. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, that's a tool. <laughs> I love it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you got planned for today? Well, actually, uh, shoot me the link of that so I can make sure I put it in the uh, description so people can play around. Mm-hmm. And then let me know what we got going on today. Well, I think you are on the hook to start uh-huh. us with some homework. Yes. So you tasked us to track, I think you said one stock per week was what you, you started with. I uh, yep. went a little overboard. I did two for this week, and then I have five more that I'm tracking right now. Yeah. Uh, the two that I tracked uh, for the actual earnings last week was Apple, uh, and then also uh, Palantir was the other one. Now, I wasn't quite sure how to track these. Um, as we got closer and closer to the actual date when the earnings happened, I wasn't sure if I should be grabbing like a straddle... Uh, I wasn't sure if I should be tracking like a, the at the money straddle each day and then trying to look at how that changed or if it was I ended up defaulting and deciding I was going to treat this like I had put the trade on like I had bought the straddle at this date and then let's just see how it moves. I think that's okay. I think really to what I'm looking for in tracking these things though is not so much individual positions although that is part of what I do track right to test different mm-hmm. structures and how they behave. But really what I want to track is how did price behave around the release? And then most importantly, how did volatility behave around the release? I think the one thing I was missing was I was not tracking the underlying. So I need to go back through and punch all those in because I was thinking the same thing. Like that's kind of an important key to this. 
Yeah. So essentially the data that you see here is very usable in my opinion, mm -hmm. like just tracking um, specifically the implied versus historic volatility. And I'm also working on, I'm starting a partnership with another company. It's an affiliate partnership for people that don't like buying their own data. Like I do, I recognize I've been looking for like decent back testing options tools for people. And mm -hmm. the only stuff that I will recommend to people are things that I genuinely would use myself. So I have one tool that I recommend to people, which is called Options Omega, which is just a bat back testing um, tool. And then this is another one. It's called ORATS. And the reason why I like ORATS and Options Omega is both of them have pretty good information for traders that don't want to buy their own. I tell everybody, like, I still pay for the data myself and build my own tools in Python. Like that's what I prefer to do. But I recognize not everybody is wanting to do that. I've actually been diving into that myself. That's actually yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it is. But what most people will find is that the cost of data, good data is very expensive. It's very, I, very I've expensive. just been using the Yahoo finance data right now, but right. Uh, yeah, which, anything more than that. Unfortunately would be... that like I actually built a calculator for people um, for the Patreon folks that uses that data to give you different um, volatility calculations just so you can see how they behave. But oh. unfortunately, like you miss so much information with that, right? It's just not, there's not enough fidelity there. But anyways, places that offer, you know, intraday minute level data, very important. And mm -hmm. if you're testing things. So anyways, ORATS, I'm, I'll have an affiliate link soon enough where you can get 50% off because they're expensive. Any sort of data tool is expensive. I think they're typically like a hundred bucks and then obviously 50 bucks, 50% uh, off will take you down to like 40 bucks a month, something like that. It's not cheap, but data is not cheap. Yeah. So that just kind of is what it is. But anyways, one of the things I like about them is that they give you this down here which is the historical options move for the past 12. And you can actually query much more than that via their API if you're so inclined. But in the web interface itself, it gives you this. So mm -hmm. going back to your original question on things that are good to track around earnings, in my opinion, this is a great one, which is what was the implied earnings move? What was the actual earnings move? And then the mm. other thing I actually started building forecast models around was EPS revisions up and down and the impact that that has on the subsequent earnings. So you can kind of try to come up with more predictive relationships. Same thing with um, the average move compared to like the average implied move versus the actual, the average actual move, and then creating predictive relationships around those. So you can tinker with a lot of cool ideas, but I think hands down the most important thing to track around earnings specifically for trading options is the implied move versus the actual earnings move and to make this the longest winded kind of retort on planet earth i think it only matters to the degree that you want to analyze this stuff because you don't have to the long and short of all of this is variance risk premiums tend to exist you won't know if they exist before it happens. There's no way mm -hmm. to predict whether or not it'll exist through these events. So it's a numbers game. Trading earnings is a numbers game. So this analysis that we're talking about, it's useful stuff, it's scholastic information, but it's still a numbers game. So you could essentially achieve the same outcomes by not doing any of this. I probably would mark that you can increase your profitability marginally 
by applying some of these screens up front. If you look at something like, oh, well, you know, out of the last six earnings, all of them exceeded the expected move. Am I going to trade that one? Is the risk reward that good? And in my instance, I probably wouldn't trade that. But then mm -hmm. you're also faced with the, you know, individual statistical outcomes, right? The fact that those previous events do not dictate the next event. So it's, you know, it's difficult to come up with an effective predictive tool. I do think that there's usefulness behind it, but it's just important for people to know you don't really have to do all of this. It doesn't provide that much edge. Uh, there's a couple other questions that I had um, while doing this homework. One of them was um, the Delta. Like when you're trying to pick a strike, um, like I'd been defaulting at whatever's closest to the at the money, but I've also thought that maybe it would make sense to just kind of stagger those deltas. Or if I have a short bias, then maybe I want to have more short deltas than long deltas in default to, the, to that strike. I'm curious if you do anything like that along or anything along those lines when you're picking up. Not really when I'm trading earnings. When I'm mm -hmm. trading earnings more often than not, I don't go into them with um, like any big assumptions. You can. There are people that spend a lot of time trying to read between the lines and see which way it's more likely to move through earnings. That's uh, it's an approach I've seen. It's not again not one that I use much myself. But well, I'm not talking about like a huge difference either. I'm saying like when it's 52 to 48 uh, versus the other one, maybe is closer to 50 50. Maybe I'll grab the one that's more biased towards the direction that I'm currently biased at, just as a tiebreaker. I see. Um, yeah, I mean, I typically don't like if I'm mm -hmm. trading earnings, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to trade the at the money straddle, which I kind of talked to you guys a little bit about this. I've moved away from that, at least for the past like year and a half now, almost because of the data that I have and just seeing that it's not working quite as well. And the way I can surmise that is by seeing the list of things that I typically trade and experiencing, um, realized moves that exceed the implied moves. Like I can see all of that. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I've switched to strangles, which have a much more of a delta component to them. There's a directional piece and it's not as much of a pure volatility risk premium play, but it is still a play that makes money. So the goal I have is to trade variance risk premiums, but the goal is to make money on that force, not to only trade that force. So that's why I've since switch to strangles as of late but even when i'm picking strangles i'll pick the same as close to the same deltas as i can but even i would say even though the the strangles that you do trade you're talking about like post like the post earnings trade not the run-up to earnings trade or are you doing strangles in that scenario too like when you're no it's it's the latter so it's okay. entering the strangle it's for the release yeah so yeah right before the release and then exiting post release yeah to your point to trade the expansion I would almost always just trade a long straddle and then actually look to gamma hedge around the long straddle just because it's a way to make a little bit of money on the long premium. Mm -hmm. now, how yeah. are you gamma hedging? So gamma hedging is kind of a deep conversation. The idea is you need to understand how gamma impacts your deltas and it's a method of reducing the directional exposure via trading the underlying itself. And then you would um, delta hedge from there. 
But if you don't gamma hedge before you delta hedge, it's it's going to move. Things are going to move too fast. And then essentially your delta hedge is gone almost as soon as it starts. So the idea up front is to flatten your gamma and then delta hedge from there. And again, I, I'm purposely keeping it at a higher level because the, the process itself is a little more involved and probably not Pro exactly. Another episode? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. It's probably suitable for its own thing. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I was kind of surprised about as I was tracking um, some of the other names, like uh, I think I had NVIDIA on there. NVIDIA, like I entered in uh, a 410 straddle um, at the beginning of, I think, this week. Or maybe it was last week. I don't know, because it's up like 60 bucks almost from where I initially marked out the straddle. Like, is that is that really what the the is that what we're trying to capture? Like no. those out those moves like that? Or is because the ones that don't move, it looks like those are not increasing in value. It's the ones right. that are moving away from the price that I bought or that are increasing. Yes. Well, think of it. When you buy a straddle, the the profile is you want it to move in either yeah. direction. Like it just needs to move. So for those that don't know like what buying a straddle looks like, if we grab something like this 4951 delta and we analyze this trade and we go to the risk profile, you just want it to move. You don't mm -hmm. care what way it moves, up or down is good. See, I so, think I've been thinking of volatility completely wrong then. I've been thinking of it as this magical thing that's going to go up as the price sits flat just because there's an unknown coming up. It can. But that's exactly mm -hmm. right. It can do that. And that's actually more close to the force you're looking to trade. That's why up front I said no, if mm -hmm. you're looking to trade these moves. What's happening here is this has happened to have a big move. This isn't tied to pre-earnings. And this isn't the innate expansion of volatility leading into earnings, that exact force you're talking about. Yeah, I figured I was too early on that still. So. What's happening here is a completely different movement that just happens to coincide with the trade, but you're getting mm -hmm. a pretty big move in the underlying here, which is exactly why it's making money. Okay. That's that's kind of what my thoughts were too. I wasn't I wasn't quite sure though. I I figured that was worth asking. Yeah, well, and it's because it can be difficult to delineate between these things. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not it's not abundantly clear what impacts what especially when to, it, it's not a vacuum. Markets are not a vacuum. And it can be very confusing, I think, to people to mm -hmm. understand the difference between what is causing things to move, what's impacting the PL of the position. And in this case, kind of as we're talking about, it's very much a completely different force than what you're looking to trade and isolate. But I would also say it's, they're it's complementary. Yeah, like, yeah as we get closer to earnings, that volatility is still going to expand in the background. So the way I would look at it almost is like the, the wind is at your back mm -hmm. because of that force moving in the background as is. And then, you know, well, this my, yeah. yeah, this and, directional and, move that's happened is just, you know, well, I was thinking if, if we're expecting volatility to increase, we should be expecting more price movement because that's kind of what volatility is, right? It's the expectation that, price is going to move from where it's at or how much it's going to move or how much you can expect the moves. That's correct. The volatility expansion that we're typically talking about trading around earnings mm -hmm. is tied to the earnings move. That's right, what it's in. right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then the last thing that I was kind of expecting to see, but didn't really notice much of 
was uh, FOMC kind of happened in the middle of uh, some of these names that I was tracking. And I did not really see much of a deflation of IV after that release. I was curious if that's is is FOMC really that little of an impact on uh, individual stocks? So what? It came out the first. Is that right? Oh, it would have been Wednesday. It would have been last Wednesday. Yeah, the first. Yeah. And it was after what what time was it? Oh, you know what? It would have been it should have been uh at the end of the first. So the the prices I wrote down on the first would have been the um post FOMC announcement price. Because I was grabbing all these are grabbed at the close. Got it. So it was released during the day on the first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's it actually IV plummeted. Okay, so it was actually just the the price itself had moved, and that's what made yeah, it look so like. If yeah. You, if you look at IV here, and this is looking at the shorter term IV, but it went from, you know, nineteen percent before the release to seventeen percent here, and then if you look at midterm volatility, it went from twenty two percent down to fifteen percent. Okay. So okay. Volatility did actually move in a pretty big way. What is significant then, I guess, uh, when you're looking at 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 that uh, that number there, the historical versus the implied, when you see it move, what? I guess it's going to be different depending on the stock. Yeah, it's all very relative. But again, if you look at something, just you can think about the erosion of the value. If you mm -hmm. think of something that goes from twenty two percent to fifteen percent, that's a mm -hmm. oh okay of that value. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So it's like the percentage change from that. Yeah, it's almost, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a, a reasonable way to think about it. Like if something if something changes volatility over the course of a day by, you know, half a percent, it's not really noteworthy, right? Mm -hmm. It's something, but it's not crazy. But if something's moving 2%, 3%, in this case, you know, over 5%, that's pretty big. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I think that answers most of the questions that I had. So uh, I am going to uh, go back through and update this sheet then and, and add the things that you you recommended. Uh, my goal is to get the five of these to track each week and then just kind of keep doing that going forward and and building some history. Um, I've been getting real close to wanting to throw some of these on, though, after seeing some of these preliminary results. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing is that this is one of those market forces where it, it exists. We know it exists. Mm -hmm. It's existed for a long time. It's likely to continue to exist. So this isn't one of the things that I think people have to study insane amounts before you can trade it. I really don't. Like right. if you said that you wanted to start trading them next week, I wouldn't think anything of it because it's it really doesn't matter. There's not a whole lot you can seek to optimize. And again, if you remember that preamble before we started, I mm -hmm. think the optimization will help a little bit, but it's not going to be the difference between profitable, not profitable. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. My, my goal was to have a, a nice data set for the next earning cycle. Cause uh, that's what I want to be prepared for. Totally cool. All right. Um, we have anything else homework wise to cover then? Yeah. So the thing I want you to look at for homework now is to study the difference between straddles and strangles. So mm -hmm. when you're looking at these different names, I want you to do two things. I want you to practice selling a straddle, which is as close as you can get to 50 delta. And then I want you to observe selling a few different strangles. I want you to sell a 30 delta strangle, a 20 delta strangle, and a 10 delta strangle. 
So the reason why I'm having you do this is because it's a great way to build a large data set using one event. Gotcha. So after the end of each of these releases, you're going to have the outputs essentially for four different strategies right out of the gate. So it's oh, super, awesome. super efficient way to track. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, I was planning on doing that actually anyway, uh, tracking yeah. the straddles after the conversation we had last, uh, last time when you said you had moved to them anyway. So yeah. perfect. You mean strangles, but yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And that that's the thing a lot of people don't think about doing is they'll say like, okay, I'm going to practice strangles or over straddles or both. Right. But mm -hmm. I don't think people tend to take that extra leap and say, oh, if I'm already looking at strangles. Why don't I look at a few different variations and see how they do? And that's really the idea. It's tough because uh, you don't want to overwhelm yourself with trying to track too much to where you just end up not doing it. So I, I tend to start kind of simpler and then then as I'm reviewing the data and like, oh, what do I wish I had? And then I'll go back and add that. And then it feels a little more uh, like you're already building the habit of collecting the simple stuff. So when you start adding to it, it just seems like it's easier to follow through with it for me. Yep. I, I think that that's true, especially for people that are new to collecting mm -hmm. information. I think what I tend to do at this point is define what I need ahead of time. And typically that gets me to the 95%. I have enough background to kind of know what I need to see. Yep. But to your point, it's, I still modify what I track almost mm -hmm. everything. So yeah, I, I think that that's a completely, completely viable approach. All right. Uh, anything else for today to, to cover then? No, sir. I think the the earnings plays you you saw made sense. I think having a chance to talk through how those different positions moved is good. And then I think getting a chance to review that homework for the next one will be a good conversation. And then oh, like yeah. we were talking about before, I definitely want to take a look at um, some teachbacks. So there's a couple things that I'm going to want you to be able to explain to me, not for the next session, but probably the one after that. And then thanks the for other, the heads up. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that I want to do is once we get through kind of this testing phase and discussions around testing earnings, you can still test those in the background. Um, but then I want us to pivot back to like looking for options trades, managing options trades, stuff like that. Yeah, I've been stocking a few of them, um, um, taking in some of the notes that you gave me from the last ratio call that I try, or was, I think I sold ratio puts on that one, but yeah, the last ratio diagonal stra uh, strategy I tried to deploy, uh, it wasn't, this, the conditions weren't met yet, so I didn't put the trade on, but I've been, I've been trying to stock some of those and, and get some more history on that too. Because the one I did yeah. with the spy just, I mean, that just crushed it. Uh, it felt like such a great trade too. I want to do more of that. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Well, I think the, I think we got a show, so let's wrap this thing up then. Wait. It's going to do it for today. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around to the end. Thank you, Eric, for showing the extreme patience while tutoring me. We'll be back with another informative episode soon, learning how to trade options. But until then, strangle that five-star rating like it's Bart Simpson two weeks out from earnings, and take care. That was a really good one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It does not constitute financial or investment advice and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations.